Hello, and welcome to another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will examine A Thief in the Night, what the Bible says about the coming of the Lord. Now, here's Steve. Good evening, everyone. Welcome here to our amazing Discoveries Bible Prophecy Seminar. Tonight is a big night. We are going to be studying about that very significant moment when the saints from every nation will lose gravitation and go up to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Hallelujah. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 16, the 15th verse. Revelation 16, verse 15. This is our opening text. The title of our meeting tonight is Much Anticipated Subject, and it's called A Thief in the Night. Let's begin with prayer as we always do. Let's bow our heads and lift up our hearts and talk to our God. Dear Father in heaven, Father, it is a blessing to be here with so many people to study the holy word that you've inspired here for us down here, us pilgrims on this earth. And we pray for the blessing of heaven, the blessing of Jesus. We pray for the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide our minds as we try to understand from your word this very, very important subject of the coming of Jesus as a thief in the night. Please bless us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Revelation chapter 16, the 15th verse. These are the words of Jesus Christ. 1615. Jesus said, and what's that first thing he says? What's the first word there? Behold, behold, I come as a thief. Now when Jesus says behold, he basically is telling us to, us to sit up and to take notice and to focus our minds upon this subject. Behold, Jesus says, think about this. I am coming as a thief. The Lord wants us to study and to understand this subject. How many of you have ever had anything stolen from you at some point in your life? Okay, I see too many hands, too many hands. I remember one time I was in Southern California. I was at my father's house and I had parked my little car. Was a, I was driving a Datsun B210, I think at that time, many years ago, and I parked right in front of the house. And I went inside and I had left my typewriter next to the, right, you know, on the passenger seat. And it was sitting there, the car was locked, I went inside, I visited with my family, and my brother came up to me and he said, Steve, I'd like to borrow your typewriter. And I said, sure, here's the keys to my car, it's sitting right there on the front seat, just go outside and, and just bring it right on in. Well, my brother went out and came in about three minutes later and he said, Steve, where'd you say your car was? He said, where is your car? And I said, Mike, my car is right in front of the house. How could you miss it? And he looked at me and his mouth just dropped open. He said, Steve, your car is not there. And I just looked at him and my mouth dropped open and I, th I said, what do you mean my car is not there? Of course my car is there. I just parked it there, it's right there. So I walked out, opened the door, you know, and looked outside and I just couldn't believe it. Uh, somebody had stolen my car right in front of my house. How did I feel at that moment? I felt, I was shocked. I felt, I felt violated. Someone had, you know, come into my personal space. It was very sudden, very unexpected. And I still remember the feeling of the first moment of discovery that a thief had stolen my car. And as I think about how I felt at that moment, you know, I think about how the world is going to feel. The majority of the world, when Jesus Christ comes as a thief, 
They're not thinking about his return. They're not studying their Bibles. They're not coming to Amazing Discoveries, Bible Prophecy Seminars. Uh, they don't, they're not even looking for this event at all. And most of the world, when Jesus comes like a thief in the night, they are going to be shocked and stunned, and they're not going to be ready for this great day. But God wants us to be ready. Amen? And that's why we're here studying our Bibles to learn what the Scriptures teach about this very, very important event. Now let me just show you briefly some of the Scriptures in the New Testament that talk about Jesus coming as a thief. We just read Revelation 16, 15. That's just one passage. We're going to read later on this evening Revelation 3, verse 3. This is the second passage. Here's another one in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2. We'll study that. That also talks about Jesus coming as a thief, a thief in the night. And then there's 2 Peter 3, verse 10. We'll read this. One of the last texts that we'll look up tonight says the same thing. And so does Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. So we find text by text by text by text in the New Testament all talking about Jesus Christ coming as a thief. You just get this impression that this is a major Bible subject that the Lord wants us to understand. Amen? Did you get that impression? And that's why we're here to study this and try to understand. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Our next text, let's look at the third verse. Matthew 24, this is going to be a very, very exciting study. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. We looked, up, we looked at this text a number of nights ago as we talked about the eve of the end. And let's look at it again. The Bible says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives right next to Jerusalem, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus was sitting there and his disciples, they came up to him privately and they said to us, they said, Lord, would you please tell us, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your what? Of your coming and of what else? and of the end of the world. Right, these were the questions that the disciples were thinking about. Jesus, please tell us, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Very, very significant question. And we're going to be studying all about that tonight. Now, let's keep reading. If you go down to verse 4, notice the very first thing that Jesus said. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man do what? that no man deceive you. Now this is very significant. The question that they asked Jesus had to do with his coming in the end. And when Jesus thought about his coming in the end, his first thought was, watch out that you're not deceived. Now this just impresses me that most likely, in fact, most definitely, as we get closer to his coming in the end of the world, there's going to be a lot of deception surrounding this very subject. Doesn't that make sense? And that's why Jesus warned us. Now, he didn't only warn us once. If you go down to verse, verse 5, Jesus continued and said, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and what will they do? Jesus says, They shall deceive many people. So here we have the same word again used twice. Deceive again. Now go down to verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus said, many false prophets shall rise. Now, what do false prophets teach? They teach false prophecy. And Jesus said, they shall, and what's that next word? Deceive. There it is again, a third time, they will deceive many people. Now, go down to verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus said, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they will show great signs, all these signs and these wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall do what? 
they shall deceive the very elect. So there we have Jesus using the word four times in response to the question, what will it be like? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Jesus said, watch out that you're not deceived, 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 deceived. Now, looking at these verses in my Bible, and as you look at them in your Bible, you know, this ought to put all of us on our toes, amen? We ought to all be cautious and careful, and I expect, you know, people that come to a seminar like this, uh, I expect you to be cautious, and not just to take every word that I say as gospel, but to check it out in the Bible, right? And that's what we should all be doing. We should be te testing everything, every thought that is taught, every doctrine, every video, every movie, uh, every book, every preacher, whatever it is, every seminar, we should be testing all of these things that we're learning by what book? by the Holy Bible to make sure that what we are learning is right. And that's what we want to do tonight again, is to study very, very carefully what the Bible actually says. Okay, let's go down to our next verse, which is in verse 27. Verse 27 focuses on the second coming of Jesus, and then we'll look at this, and then we'll keep on going and tie a lot of different things together. In verse 27, we just read verse 24, where Jesus warned about deception. And then in verse 27, he said, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and flashes as the lightning comes from the east and as it flashes, just flashes right across the sky. Jesus said, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now here Jesus compares his second coming to lightning flashing all the way across the sky. Now do you, do you see a lot of lightning in this part of the country? Is there a lot of lightning flashing around here? I grew up in Southern California in the Hollywood Hills and we didn't see a lot of lightning as I was growing up. Now maybe it was because there was just too much smog in the air, I don't know. But when I was 24, I moved to Michigan. Lived in the Midwest for a while the northern part of the Midwest, and as, as I moved out there, I remember one day I was walking out, I was actually going to school, and I walked out on a football field, and an electrical storm moved in, and I didn't have enough sense to know that this wasn't the best place to stand and watch this beautiful sight, but thank the Lord, nothing happened to me, but as I looked up, I saw the, the lightning began to flash all over the sky, just flash, 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 flash everywhere, and it was quite beautiful. It didn't actually come down and strike, and I was fine, you know, nothing happened to me, but I saw lightning, the likes of which I had never seen before. Nothing like this in Southern California, and according to Jesus Christ, his return is going to be just like that. Lightning, as you look at it again, Jesus said, as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now notice, the word coming there that you see on the screen, you see in your Bible, actually comes from one Greek word, a very, very significant Greek word, and the word is parousia. The word there is parousia, and this word literally means the revealing, the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. And it's obvious in this passage that it's referring to the second coming of Christ. Are we all in agreement on that? That's pretty clear. No, no question about that so far at this point. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus. Okay, now let's keep going. Let's go down to verse, verse 30. Verse 30 and 31. In fact, these two verses are probably the clearest descriptions in the whole Bible of the second coming, the glorious revealing, the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
In verse 30, Jesus continues and says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now, we talked about this in our second meeting of this seminar, that one of these days, people are going to look up in the sky, and they're going to see this sign up there in the heavens. And probably, at first, they're not going to know what it is. This sign is going to be up there. Now, in the last few years, Americans have been watching a lot of Hollywood movies, haven't they? A lot of movies about space beings coming down from the sky. They've watched movies about E.T and Star Wars and Star Trek and Lost in Space and Close Encounters and all these different fascinating movies. And I have a hunch that when this final event actually takes place, when that sign appears, that people are going to look up around the world and they're going to wonder, what is that? Is it a Martian? Is it some space being coming down from the sky? And at first, they're not going to know. But as this sign gets closer, they're going to realize this is not, this is not fantasy. This is not some production put on by Steven Spielberg, but this is reality. Let's keep reading. Verse 30, then shall appear the sign of the Son of, and Jesus says, it'll be the sign of the Son of Man. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And what's going to happen is, as this cloud gets closer and closer, people are going to look up and they're going to realize it's not a Martian, it's not a space being, it's a man in a cloud. And they're just going to be shocked to discover that man is. Yes, it is. I can't believe it, but it is. It's, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ coming down from the sky, just like he said in the Bible. Now notice the next part of verse 30. Jesus said, and then shall all the tribes of the earth, what will they do? Jesus says, all of them. Notice we're talking about a worldwide event here. Then shall all the tribes of the earth, they shall mourn, and they shall see with their eyes the Son of Man coming. Now, everybody sees this, isn't this right? At this time. This is a worldwide event. Jesus is very clear. Then shall all the tribes of the earth, they will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Now, why are they mourning? Well, the reason is because they're not ready, and there's a high cost to low living. And that's the way the majority of the world have been living, and they're not prepared. The big party is over, and so they are mourning as they see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven, he says, with power and with great glory. Hallelujah. This is exactly what's going to happen, exactly as Jesus Christ says it. I believe it with all my heart. If you believe these words, say amen. 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 Hallelujah. Now let's keep reading. In verse 31, Jesus tells us that he's not coming alone. Verse 31, he says, and he shall send his angels. Jesus will send out the angels with a great sound of a trumpet. In other words, he's coming down with angels. Now, how many angels does he have? How many angels is he going to send out? John saw them in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. He heard 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of holy angels singing. And I believe in real angels. I believe I have a guardian angel. I believe so do you. I believe every single person here has a guardian angel specifically appointed to watch over your life. And that angel is with you all the time. And one of these days, you're going to meet your guardian angel. It'll be nice, won't it? Maybe shake his hand and find out his name, and he can tell you all the times that he's rescued you from the devil and protected your life. Praise God. Well, that's what's going to happen. And Jesus says right here, he's coming with the angels. In fact, there's another verse I'll just show you on the screen. Matthew 16, 27, basically the same idea. Jesus says, the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. 
powerful angels? And what will it be like when, when probably billions of holy beings descend from the skies? Holy angels enter this atmosphere at the coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to be an awesome, awesome moment. Now notice as Jesus continues, he says, he will send his angels out with a great, and what's that next word? A great sound of a trumpet. This is not going to be a quiet event. No question about that. Remember this, because we're going to come back to this. There's going to be a great trumpet sound when the angels come down and Jesus Christ returns. And then Jesus continues and says, these angels will go out and they will gather together his elect. Now, who are his elect? In the context of Matthew 24, remember we read that the devil will deceive, if possible, even the elect. But the elect are those that are not deceived. The elect are those who have been studying their Bibles, they know Jesus Christ, and when these angels come down, they are sent specifically by Christ to gather his elect together. And then he says, he goes on and says, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. These angels are going to gather them all and pick them up and take them into the air to meet Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we're reading here in this passage. Now, I'd like you to notice specifically a number of words that are used in verse 30 and 31, because we're going to come back to this. Notice we read in verse 30, Jesus said he's coming in the clouds. Remember that word, clouds. And it also says in verse 31, he's coming with a great sound of a trumpet, both those words, sound and trumpet. And then we also see the word together. The angels go out and gather together his elect from the four winds. They pick them up and bring them up into the air and bring them right to Jesus Christ. So those four words, clouds, sound, trumpet, together. These are very important words as we continue to study, to try to understand, understand our subject. And this is obviously, there's nobody that would question this. This is a picture, a description of the parousia, right? The glory, the revealing of Jesus Christ, the second coming of the Lord in glory is being described here in this passage. And it's very clear that the whole world is going to see this. All the tribes of the earth will look up and see with their eyes this great and glorious event. Now, let's, let's keep going. Let's go down to verse 36. We just read verses 30 and 31. In verse 36, Jesus continues and says, but of that day, when Jesus returns, this glorious second coming, that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nobody knows, nobody should set a date of the exact day or the exact hour when this event will come when Jesus will return in the clouds of glory. Now, if you go down to verse 37 through 39, even though we don't know the day or the hour, Jesus does give us a lot of things that will be happening on earth prior to his coming, clues, and he tells us more about what it will be like. Verse 37, Jesus compares his coming to the days of Noah and ultimately to the suddenness of the flood. Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll be just like Noah's day. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. They were just, you know, doing all their normal things until that very day when Noah walked inside the ark and his family. And then verse 39, Jesus says, they knew not. They had no idea what was happening. It was a very sudden event to them, wasn't it? When the people mourn, when they see him coming, to those who are mourning, it's a sudden event to them. All of a sudden, they look up and there he is. 
Back in Noah's day, they knew not what was happening until boom, all of a sudden, the flood hit. Jesus says the flood came and it took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So verse 30 and 31 talks about his glorious coming. Verse 36, he says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Verses 37 through 39, he parallels it to the days of Noah. He says it'll be sudden, it'll be unexpected, this glorious parousia, this revealing, this second coming. Now again, the word there for coming is the exact Greek word, the parousia. It's exactly what it is. And it's describing again the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the whole context as you go right down. Are you with me? Following along? That's really exactly what's there. Okay, now, here's a hot text. Go down to the very next verse, in verse 40. Verse 40 is a very significant passage here. In verse 40, Jesus uses, he starts out by using a little tiny word. He says, and he says, then, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Now here's a big question. When is then? What's the context? When Jesus says, then, two are in the field, one's taken, one's left, when is then? Then is at the parousia, which is the word that's used right before verse 40, which is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the whole context. Just like Noah's day, it hit wham, so and then verse 40, Jesus says, then. It's gonna be just like this at the second coming of Jesus. That's what he says when you read right write down and look at his words exactly. Now Jesus says, then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Now let me ask you, what happened in the days of Noah to those that were left? That were left and who didn't go safely inside of the ark? What happened to them? Did they have another chance to be saved after that? Did they have another opportunity? Somehow, you know, after the flood, they had another chance. There was no second chance, was there, for those that lived in the time of Noah. There were no second chances. And Jesus is drawing a perfect parallel. He said, as it was in Noah's day, it's gonna be the same. Two in the field, one's taken, one is left at the second coming, and once again, there will be no second chances. Today is a day of salvation, is it not? We cannot afford to wait and to think that when the end finally comes, we're gonna have another opportunity after that to get to know Jesus. Uh, that is a, a fatal delusion. And Jesus is trying to teach us this lesson here in this passage. Now, as you continue to read, notice Jesus says, then at the second coming, at the parousia, shall two be in the field, one shall be taken. And the word taken in the Greek means received safely, just like Noah was safely in the ark, and then the other, it says the other is left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. In other words, when this time occurs, people are going up individually, aren't they? That word one is Jesus' word designed to impress us all with the importance of having an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. We cannot afford to trust our preachers, although there are a lot of good preachers who do preach the word of God, but we can't depend upon them for our salvation, can we? We can't depend upon a church. We can't depend upon anybody other than God alone. We have to be studying our Bibles for ourselves because when Jesus comes, we're going up one by one, amen? 
one shall be taken and the other shall be left. We're not saved in groups. We're not saved by belonging to a certain church. We're not saved by being born into a certain family and having Christian parents. Somebody once said, God has no grandchildren. We have to be born again one by one, just like babies are born one by one. And this just impresses me that if I'm going to be ready for the coming of Jesus, I've got to study my Bible. I've got to know what the Word says. And I have to be ready one-on-one -on -one to meet with Jesus so he'll pick me up and not leave me down here. Amen? Do you get that impression as you read this? This is very important for all of us to be studying our Bibles very, very carefully. Okay, let's keep going. Notice verse 42. In verse 42, Jesus continues, and we're going to draw a lot of significance from the order that he describes here. In verse 42, Jesus says, Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. We don't know when this is going to happen. It's going to be sudden and unexpected, just like Noah's day. So Jesus says, watch, be awake, be alert, because you don't know when this is going to happen. Now in verse 43, Jesus continues, and what he now does, he just described his second coming in light of what happened in Noah's day, the suddenness of the flood. And now in verse 43, he describes his second coming in the light of the sudden arrival of a thief. In verse 43, Jesus says, But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and he would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Believe me, if I would have known at what moment that thief was going to come and steal my car, I would have been right out there. I would have been watching and I would have been saying, you know, you can't do this, you can't steal my car. But I had no idea, did I? I didn't know the moment when he was going to come. And it's the same for us people at the end. Nobody knows. That's why we have to be on our toes all the time. That's why Jesus says to watch and to be ready. And then in verse 44, he has a punchline here. Verse 44, Jesus says, Therefore be ye also what? Be ready. Just like we don't know when the thief is going to come, so we don't know when he's coming. That's why he says, Be, not get ye ready, but be ye ready. For in such an hour, in an unexpected sudden time, such an hour as you think not, Jesus says, the Son of Man is coming. His return will be sudden, unexpected, just like the arrival of a thief. Okay, now let's keep going. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and now we're going to examine one of the hottest issues facing the Christian world as we really dig deep into our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's take a look at verse 16, and we're going to ask a big question mark about this text. This is a very controversial passage. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul is writing, and Paul says, For the Lord himself... Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of, of the archangel, with the trump of God, the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And this is where the word rapture comes from. Actually, the word rapture, which so many people are talking about today, that word itself is really not in the Bible. The expression is caught up, which basically means to us the rapture, when we're going to be picked up and taken to glory. That's what Paul is describing here. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay, how many of you have read these verses before? Okay, most of you have. These verses are being preached right now all over America. Movies are being made about this text. Very, very significant passage. Now, here's the question. This is the multi-billion dollar question. And I want you to see the issue, and then we're going to look at it square in the face. This is the issue. What we just read about is Paul here in 1 Thessalonians describing the same event that we just read about in Matthew 24? Is he describing the second coming of Jesus Christ in glory with all the angels and everybody sees him? Or is he describing an event that takes place prior to the second coming where believers are taken up and then there's a period of time after that where people have some sort of a second chance and then Jesus comes in glory at the end of that period. Are you with me? This is the question. Is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 the second coming? Or is it an event that takes place before the second coming? Let me ask you, how many of you are familiar with the fact that this is an issue? An issue facing the Christian world. Okay, I see a, a lot of hands, a lot of hands. This is really a big one. Now, let me just show you here a slide that illustrates the two basic options that we have in front of us right now. Two views, two options. One of them is right, one of them is wrong. One of them really agrees with the Bible and one of them doesn't. Option number one is up on the top there, and this option is believed by a lot of people today, very popular idea, and that is that when 1 Thessalonians 4 takes place and the believers are caught up, that takes place prior to the period of time when the beast comes and the Antichrist comes, and then comes the second coming after that. That is what is a popular teaching today, that Jesus is going to first come, get us out of here, in the rapture, then the beast will show up, the Antichrist will show up, the final times will show up, and it's after that that the second coming takes place. Okay, that's option number one. Now then there's option number two, and that option is that the beast and the Antichrist is here right now. And we as Christians have to deal with this and with these deceptions, and that we will be here during those final times, and that when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory at the second coming, it's at that point that we are caught up or raptured to be with Jesus. In other words, according to option number two, the rapture takes place at the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes down, we go up. Okay, do you see the issues? Now, those who accept option number one basically don't have to worry about the beast and the Antichrist because they won't be here. Those who accept option number two, or at least well, let me say it this way, if option one is correct, then they don't have to worry about it. But if option two is correct, then we need to be thinking about this and studying this now and dealing with these issues, right? Now, think about it this way. Uh, if op let's say I believe option number two, let's just say. And let's just say that option number one is correct. And if I really believe in Jesus, and if option number one is right, then it doesn't really make a difference if I'm wrong, because I'm going up anyway, right? Right? Now, let's just say that I believe option number one, but option number two is the truth. Now, then it could get serious for me. If I don't think about the end times, and I'm not studying about the end times, and I'm not ready for the end times, and all of a sudden I find myself in the midst of them, and they're here, and I'm not ready, you see, then it can be very serious. See what I mean? So it's important for us to discover which option is right, which one is true. 
Both of them cannot be true at the same time. Now, as we studied the other night, I want to share a very important fact with you, and that is, and many people don't know this, but the truth is that option number two used to be believed by Protestants for 300 years. This used to be believed by the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Lutherans and, and the Protestant scholars and Christians for since the time of the Protestant Reformation. They studied this, these prophecies and they realized the beast was here right now. The Antichrist was here right now. And they were waiting for the coming of Jesus to go up and they thought they had to deal with this all the way until the end. Now to prove that, I'll just quote of Newsweek, Newsweek magazine, all about Bible prophecy, or at least the feature article, and on page 72, it says here, Martin Luther in, in the 1500s was the first to identify the papacy as such with the Antichrist. And this was a view that was to become dogma for all Protestant churches. This is Newsweek, page 72, for the whole country to read and to see that this used to be the doctrine of the Protestant churches, just like we studied in night four of the seminar, that the beast is here. The Antichrist is here, and we as Christians have to deal with this, and it's a matter of truth and error. It's a matter of the spirit of Jesus versus the spirit of Antichrist and what the Bible really says and focusing on Christ alone and not being led astray from him. These are the issues that we've been studying about. Now, regardless of what Newsweek says and regardless of what Protestants used to believe and regardless of what millions of people believe right now, the real question is, how do we know which view is really right? You know, all those Protestants could be wrong, right? For 300 years, they could be wrong. And on the same side, on the other side, there's people today, the majority view, who believe option number one. They could be wrong too. So here's a big question. How do we know which view is right? How do we know? You know, you might come to one seminar and, and some teacher will say it's option number one. We're going to get out of here before the trouble hits, so don't you worry about it. And then someone, you might go to another seminar and the other pre preacher will say, we're going to be here, folks, and we've got to get ready to go through the final times. So how do we know which view's right? Maybe we should take a vote. How about that? Shall we take a vote and see where the majority opinion lies? I don't think that's the way to go, do you? Maybe they took a vote in the days of Noah. They said, let's take a vote. How many of you think we should get in the ark? And a whole bunch of people said, no, we don't want to get in the ark. How many of you think we shouldn't get in the ark? Everybody went, I think so. There's no flood coming. There's no real crisis coming. We don't have to get in the ark. And let's just say the majority said we don't need to get in the ark. And if we would have followed majority opinion back then, we'd be in trouble, right? If we were back then. So we can't decide based upon majority opinion. Jesus said, as it was in Noah's day, it's going to be the same at the end. And think about this, the majority in Noah's day were wrong, right? The majority went down in the waters of the flood. So how do we know? Back to our question. Which view is right? There's only one way. It's not by taking every word that I say or anybody says. It's by studying very careful, carefully our Bibles. Is that correct? This, dear friends, is the only way that any of us are going to know which is the true view. If, if we're in agreement on that, let's say amen. 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 Okay, we're, we're, we're in this together, aren't we? And whatever happens, folks, we're going to be going through this together anyway. So let's, let's be together and let's open our Bibles back to 1 Thessalonians and let's take a close look. 
let's take a very, very careful look at exactly what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5 actually say. What does it really say? Have you ever been driving down the highway too fast? And then you finally, you know, you're driving along and then you look at the speedometer and you get a revelation that you're going about 80 and it's time to slow down. You ever had that experience? I've had that experience too many times. I believe it is time for us to look at the speedometer, to slow down, put away preconceived ideas, and take a look at what the truth really is. Okay, let's go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's start with verse 15. And let's look at it carefully. Verse 15, Paul says, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. Paul's talking about the word of the Lord that he's saying to us. And then he says that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Now notice here, I've got this right up here on the screen. Paul says, we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. He says, we will not prevent or go before those which are asleep. In other words, those that have died. In other words, Paul's saying we're both going to be going together. Now, just notice at this point, he says, we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. Now go down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Okay, now let's just put these pieces together. Verse 15, he says, We who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. Verse 17, he says, We who are alive and remain will be caught up. Now it's clear when you put both these verses together, it's very clear that we are going to be caught up at the coming of the Lord. Correct? Is that clear? When you put verse 15 and verse 17, they're talking about the same thing. One says coming of the Lord, one says caught up. So it's very clear that we're going to be caught up at the coming of the Lord. Now this is the big issue though, which coming is it talking about? Right? That's the issue. Which coming? Now notice that word coming. Take a guess what Greek word the Apostle Paul uses in this passage. He's using a Greek text, or actually a Greek word, might give you a shiver just to think about it, but guess what Greek word Paul uses there in verse 15? He uses this word, parousia, which is the exact word that Jesus Christ uses in Matthew 24 about his glorious appearing. Honestly, you can look it up in any concordance, he's using the exact same word. Now let's keep going. If you go down to verse 16, Paul continues and says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? With a shout, and then he says, with the voice of the archangel, and with what else? With the trump of God, the trumpet of God. Now, where did we read about Jesus coming down with the great trumpet sound? We read that in Matthew chapter 24, didn't we? About the second coming of Jesus. He's coming with the great sound of a trumpet. In fact, this may shock you, but if you really study verse 16, brothers and sisters, this is probably the noisiest verse in the whole Bible. I mean, here we have Jesus coming down from heaven with a shout. He's coming down with a voice, and he's coming down with the trumpet of God. I mean, this trumpet is so loud that the Bible says the dead in Christ rise first, it even wakes the dead. I mean, this is a very, very loud event that's taking place in this passage, isn't it? And it's amazing to me that this verse can be preached and inserted into movies as a very silent event that everybody wakes up one day and tries to figure out what happened. 
That's not really what the text is saying. It's loud, there's a voice, there's a trumpet. It's a tremendous passage. And in fact, as I mentioned, the trumpet's so loud that it results in the resurrection of the dead, or at least it's tied into this. Verse 16 says at the end that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we'll study all about this on Friday night when we get to that meeting. Now this is happening all around the world, isn't it? The dead in Christ are not just in one place, but this is talking about all around the world. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then in verse 17, Paul continues and says, then we which are alive and remain, what will happen to us? We will be caught up, there's the rapture, together with them, with the dead who are now raised, we're caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, those are the same words that Jesus used in Matthew 24, didn't he? Same words. He said, he's coming on the clouds, and the angels go out and gather together his elect. Same words in Matthew 24, exactly. And then Paul continues and says that we will be caught up to meet the Lord, where? In the air. And that's also a parallel to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that the angels will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the air, the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And then Paul continues and says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We get to be with Jesus, praise God, for all eternity we'll ever be with him. In verse 18, Paul says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We are to be comforted by these powerful truths of Scripture. Now go down to the next verse. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul continues and says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now this is a parallel to Matthew 24 where Jesus said, but of that day and that hour, nobody knows. Paul says of the times and the seasons, we don't know. You don't need anybody to write to you about that. And then in verse 2, what does he do? He parallels Christ's expression about his return as a thief. In verse 2, Paul says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, this day, this great day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. In other words, it will be a very sudden and unexpected event. Now, notice verse 3. Paul says, For when they shall say, and these are the people that are not ready, when they shall say, Peace and safety, then what will happen to them? Then sudden, notice that word sudden, then sudden, Paul says, destruction cometh upon them. Just like in Noah's day, the flood came suddenly and they weren't expecting it. Paul says, sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. How many escaped in Noah's day who didn't get into the, into the ark? Nobody. And the scripture here says that they will not escape. Now, if you look carefully at this text, basically what this verse is saying, if you really read it carefully, is that this idea of Jesus coming as a thief in the night it has to do with the sudden, according to the Bible, sudden destruction of those who are not ready. That's exactly what it's saying. Now let's back up to chapter 4 and let's just read the whole context so you can see it very, very clearly and know that I'm not just pulling this out of a hat, but this is really exactly what the Bible is saying. 
chapter 4, verse 16. And again, let's just slow down and look at the Bible. Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, I hope to be among the living, shall and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So when Jesus comes down, one group goes up. Amen? And we want to be in that group that goes up. Now then he, Paul, continues and describes the other group that doesn't go up. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for yourselves know perfectly, we're to know this perfectly, like the back of our hands, that the day of the Lord, this day when Jesus comes down, the dead in Christ rise, and we're caught up to meet him, this day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, those that are not ready, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So when you just read it straight through, it's very, very clear, isn't it? One group is ready and goes up, and the other group is not ready, and they experience what Paul calls sudden destruction. And we'll study more about what that means on a future night. But that's what the text says, isn't that right? Now go to Revelation chapter 3. Keep your finger there. Keep your finger on that passage and go to Revelation chapter 3 and take a look at verse 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. And then we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians. I'm trying to impress you with, with what this thief idea is all about. Revelation 3, verse 3. Jesus is talking to Christians. He's talking to the church in Sardis. And in verse 3, Jesus says, Remember, therefore... Remember how you have received, how you've received the word, and how you've heard the word, and hold fast to the word. And then he says, and repent. Evidently, these people had strayed. They heard, but they'd strayed from the word. And Jesus is telling us, remember how you've received it, how you've heard it. Hold fast to the truth and repent if we've strayed away. And then he goes on. Notice in verse 3, Jesus says, if therefore thou shalt not watch. And he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to us. He says, if you will not watch, then he says, I will come on you. How? As a thief. As a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now let me ask you, does this biblical idea of Jesus coming as a thief, does this sound positive or negative? When he comes upon certain people as a thief, is that positive or negative? It's negative, isn't it? It's negative. And this idea of a thief has to do with a warning that Jesus is giving to Christians who are not really following the word of God. That's what's happening here. It is a warning to casual Christians. It is a warning to people who aren't studying their Bibles. It's a warning who those, to those who have strayed away from the word and who are not prepared for his return. If we're lukewarm, half-hearted Christians who just come to church once a week and sit in our pews, but if we're not really studying our Bibles, if we're following majority opinion, like that's what happened in the days of Noah, then we're in danger. And Jesus is warning us. He's saying, watch out. And if you're not watching, if we're not studying, he says, be careful that I don't come upon you unexpectedly like a thief, and you end up on the wrong side. You see that? 
That's the warning that he is giving us. Now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's very, very clear. He is warning casual Christians in the words of a popular preacher I listened to the other day. He said a lot of folks who claim to be Christians, he said they're not really rapture ready. In other words, they're not really ready to go up when Jesus comes down. Now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. Paul says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now then in verse 4, he says, But you, brethren, now he's writing to believers, he's hoping the better things for believers. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Do you see that? Paul is here talking to Christians, and he says, you are not to be in the dark so that that day will overtake you as a thief. In other words, we're supposed to be ready so it doesn't come like a thief to us. Does that make sense? That's exactly what he's saying, exactly. And then in verse 5, Paul says, you are all the children of the light, the children of the light of God and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Two groups. Those of the day, those of the night. Those that know the Lord and those that don't. One group goes up and the other is left. And if you think about it, when it talks about those of the night, it's those that are of the night. They're the ones that experience the coming of Jesus as a thief in the night. Do you see that? It's those that are of the night, those that are not ready. They're the ones that experience his coming as a thief in the night. And it's a divine warning of God to Christians to be in the light, to be in the day, and to be ready for this coming. If you go down to verse 6, verse 6, Paul continues and says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us do what? Let us watch and be sober. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24. He said, watch out. And that's how Paul speaks to believers. He says, don't sleep, wake up, be alert, study the Bible, know Jesus, be prepared, and don't go to sleep. Now, let me just summarize what we have just studied. I've put together a slide here that summarizes these basic points. Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4. I've got to go through this fast. In Matthew 24, verse 27, Jesus talks about his coming, the parousia. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, Paul talks about the coming of Jesus, the parousia. In Matthew 24, verse 30, he says it's coming in the clouds. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, he says it's coming in the clouds. Matthew 24, 31, the sound of a trumpet. 4, 16, a shout, a voice, a trumpet. Parallels. Matthew 24, 31, he will gather together his, his saints when he sends out the angels. Chapter 4, verse 17 says we'll be caught up together. Same idea. Matthew 24, verse 36 says nobody knows the day or the hour. And in chapter 5, verse 1, no one knows the times or the seasons. Matthew 24, verse 43, Jesus says we'll be like a thief. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, Jesus is coming like a thief. 24, 39, the flood came and took them all away. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3 says it'll be sudden destruction. Just like the days of Noah, no one will escape. Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus says, watch. And chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, watch. So when you put the pieces together, not only are the words the same, but the order is the same. The order is the same. And what this is telling us very, very clearly is that we will be caught up at the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's very, very clear when you put the pieces together. Now let me show you a statement from a man that most Christians respect these days and that is Billy Graham. Billy Graham wrote a book called Answers to Life's Problems, and this is what Billy said. He was asked a question in his book. You can buy it in any Christian bookstore or most of them. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is going to make a visible, physical return to this earth? 
And this is what Billy said. He said, yes, I believe this with all my heart, not because of the opinions of others, but based solely on what the Bible plainly teaches. And that's what I believe. And then he continues and said, in the New Testament, we find more than 300 references to the second coming the second coming of Jesus. And then he describes them. For instance, John 14, 2 and 3, Matthew 24, 30, that we just read about his coming in the clouds. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, Paul said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, his coming will be visible, his coming, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, Revelation 1-7. That's from Answers to Life Problems, page 300 and 301. So Billy is quoting 1 Thessalonians 4, he's quoting Matthew 24-30, and he's saying it applies to the same event. And so Billy Graham, one of the most well-known preachers in this world, he also believed, just as I believe, that when you compare Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, it's very clear that we're going to be caught up at the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming, the parousia. That's exactly what the Bible says. And Billy believes this, and so do I. Our last text tonight is 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now at this point, some of you might have questions about the seven years, and we'll be studying this if you have questions also about the thousand years, we'll be studying this. We're going to go point by point, text by text, and put all these pieces together. They'll all make sense, and they will all be right from the Bible, clear as clear can be. I hope that you'll stick with me as we keep studying together. Our last text, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 and then verse 14. And Peter basically says the same thing that Jesus said and that Paul said. In verse 10, Peter said, But the day of the Lord... When Jesus comes, it's going to be a great day. This day of the Lord will come, how? As a thief in the night, unexpected and suddenly, for those who are not ready, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Again, there's noise associated with the coming of Jesus as a thief. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth and its works also will be burned up. Does that sound silent? Not at all when Jesus comes as a thief. Now then in verse 14, we have our punchline for tonight. Peter says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing you look for such things, we're looking for these things. Be diligent, be diligent in your study of the Bible, in your study of the truth, in your study of the Word, that you may be found of Him when He comes in peace without spot and blameless. May God help us to be among those that go up when Jesus Christ returns in power and glory. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, Go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.